What's up, Bikinger fans? We hear so much about inclusivity these days, but not usually when it comes to our mountain bike trails. Turns out, it's not that hard to make our trails more accessible to a wider range of riders, letting all your friends enjoy the same awesome experience you and I enjoy every time we hit the single track. Besides the warm fuzzies, there's often good money and resources available to help make it happen too. My guests today are Nick Bennett and Greg Durso, two of the riders and trail builders leading Vermont's charge to make more of their hundreds of miles of trails accessible to adaptive riders. I've ridden some of these trails and they're awesome, but what makes them super rad is that every rider can enjoy them and trust me, they are not watered down in any way. If you've ever wondered what it would take to make your local trails adaptive bike friendly, or what it's like to experience a trail from their perspective, this episode is for you. Be sure to check the links in this episode's show notes at bikerumor.com slash podcast for resources and their Instagram profiles to see the bikes and trails in action. Please welcome Nick and Greg. Hey guys, welcome to the Bike Rumor Show. Excited to be here, Tyler. Thank you. Yeah, psyched to be here. Yeah, glad to have you. So we were, well, before I get into how we met and, and what we're going to talk about too much, um, I figured I'll let you guys introduce yourself so people know whose voice is whose and kind of the different organizations you're with. Yeah. Do you want to go first, Greg? Sure, yeah. I'm Greg Durso. I'm the program director at the Kelly Brush Foundation. Um, for those that don't know, the Kelly Brush Foundation helps people with spinal cord injuries live their best active lifestyle. So we provide grants for adaptive sports equipment um, like mountain bikes. We've given out over over $3 million, over 1500 participants over the last uh, 18 years. So uh, really proud of what, what we got going on over here. Nice. Yeah, and I'm Nick Bennett. I'm the executive director of the Vermont Mountain Bike Association. We're the statewide advocacy organization for mountain biking here in Vermont. We have 29 chapters across the state, just about 10,000 individual members. Our chapters steward close to 1,000 miles of trail across the state, and they collectively uh, put about 30,000 volunteer hours to use uh, to help maintain and build our trail network here in Vermont. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I joined VNBA just because I really enjoyed the trails when I was up there riding. And um, I, it's like super impressive. I mean, we have like a really good group here locally in Greensboro, but um, you guys have an app and just this like massive network of benefits from different retailers. Like I joined, and I went and basically got a free pizza like yep. that, that day. It was awesome. There are national parks larger than Vermont, and we've got 50 plus trail networks throughout the state. And like you said, a lot of, I mean, a big part of our organization too is partnerships with local businesses, which kind of embodies the relationships we have with communities where it's sort of, if you, when you come to Vermont, the number, the percentage of folks with bike racks on their cars and trucks is pretty apparent, you know, as soon as you get here. And, and, you know, for us as a mountain bike organization, we compete for, to be the largest state level mountain bike organization in the country. We're kind of, you know, right neck and neck with Evergreen out in Washington and, and NIMBA, which is multi-state and the kind of encompasses the rest of New England is a similar size, but Vermont is amongst the smallest states. So when you think about it, percentage of folks that are card carrying mountain bike members, we're far and away the sort of most dense active mountain bike community here in the country. Yeah, I think, I mean, just doing the math, it's a, it's about one and a half percent of the population yep. has is a VIMBA member, which is impressive. What's interesting, too, is, you know, we did we've done some uh, work here with the with the University of Vermont, their Center for Rural Studies. They put out a survey every year and we've tried to collect some data like, well, how many people in Vermont are actually active mountain bikers? And so Vermont population of six hundred and fifty ish thousand folks that live in Vermont. Uh, the, our survey estimates show that like 50,000 folks at least are riding mountain bikes on trails at least once a week. So the, you know, the percentage is closer to eight ish, 10%. So we're part of our work is to actually grow that to where we'd love to see it, a majority of folks that are out there riding regularly be member members. So it's, it's pretty high, but we also at least believe that the seat we haven't, we're not at the ceiling yet. So we're hoping to grow over the next couple of years too. Right. Yeah. Nice. I mean, just more math, right? Like just literally the amount it cost me to join, I you know made back like a third of it just going to get a free pizza with the benefits. I feel like you could like come out way ahead. Totally, <laughs> and you, partnerships. Yeah, and we'll talk maybe about some of the lift riding here in Vermont because I know that Greg and I have been on a lot of the the resorts that are once we get into the adaptive conversation. But um, you know, one of the things too with him, but when you join. We have partnerships with five of the lift service riding areas and Vimbo members get a free lift ticket to each of those areas. So if you literally buy your membership, if you used all of them, you'd make you know, the return on your investment for that Vimbo membership would be five or you know, many times over. Um, but even just one trip, if you go down to one of our resort partners, it's like, oh, my membership just paid for itself and I'm supporting the trails and I'm getting these business benefits. So we're trying to make a pretty compelling 
case for folks to be Vimba members. Yeah. Awesome. Rad. So we were introduced by Bern Brody, who's a friend and fellow cycling journalist and also a Vermont local and local mountain biker who helped develop one of the purpose-built adapted trails in the state called the Driving Range. And um, I had a chance to ride that trail when I was up there and it's it's pretty rad. And like, what really struck me is that if she hadn't told me it was an adaptive trail, like I never would have known, right? There's nothing that makes it seem different than any other trail. And it was super fun. Like the climb was gnarly going up and the descents were ripping good with berms and, you know, jumps and B lines and A lines. And I mean, it was just an amazingly fun trail. And I was hoping you guys could just comment on that because, you know, like how did that get to be like, you know, a normal trail that's fully adaptive compliant? Yeah, it's a good question. Ty, I was going to ask you too. I was like, my, my first thought was like, when you were out there, would, would you have any, if she didn't tell you, right, would you have any idea, right? And I think that's like the, the coolest thing about all this and people talk about stuff. Obviously, you know, in the disability community, you hear the word, you know, ADA or things being adaptive friendly. And I think like those, those get construed, right? I think everyone thinks like, a, you know, ADA is like with ramps and wide paths and things that are flat, right? And what, what we're doing here in the adaptive mountain bike communities, it's not, it's not ADA, right? We ride actual mountain bikes, right? These bikes are capable uh, of riding trails. And I think no one understands that. So I think it's fun for us to a, just kind of show what these bikes are capable of, but also, you know, what do we need to have a trail? What does that look like? And I think it's, it's sometimes probably easier said than, than, than people actually think, right? And I was, obviously you were on it. That's where it goes, but it kind of has a, has a bit of a, a interesting, you know, background. I think that mountain biking really didn't come onto the scene until man, seven years ago, I think the, fir- the first one was made. And then all of a sudden they started becoming have e assist on them and were able now to kind of keep up with able bodied riders to see what that looked like. And then from there, I, I kind of moved to Vermont five years ago. I got my mountain bike. I was so excited to get into the woods. But the, the funny thing is, right, I have this bike. I'm like, now where do I go use it? Right. I don't know what trails would work. How does that happen? And luckily, my friends kind of just threw me into it here. They knew the trails and what started as an inside joke of, you know, what trails are regable you know, turned it turned into kind of, you know, what I get to do now with, with Vemba and, and Burn and then the other, you know, chapters around here trying to make trails more more universal, right? What does that look like? And I think the three major keys are just trail width, right? We our bikes are most of them are trikes. Um so they have three wheels, right? And usually the, the maximum width is probably around thirty six to thirty eight inches. So if you make a trail that is machine built, that's probably already gonna be thirty six to thirty eight inches wide. So that really it's really helpful. Um, the next big thing is obstacles, right? So if there's any sort of rocks or bridges, right, that are going to be impassable, uh, I don't have the luxury of just standing up and walking out of my bike and going around something, right? So there's no hiking bikes to, anymore. <laughs> yeah, there's no, there's no hiking bike in my, 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 my near future. I can tell you that for sure. Um, right. So to be able to navigate around certain features or obstacles that are there, right, making sure bridges are wide enough or there's big rocks or boulders that we can, you know, we can maintain through that. And then the other major thing is is off camber, right? So anything that's like too off camber, are since we are on three wheels, we could flip over, right? So trying to maintain those kind of three categories and build that into the trail is huge, right? And and the biggest thing I talk about is kind of the flow of the trail, right? When you want to start building this stuff, is being able to right ride the trail the same way an able bodied rider or someone on two, a two wheel bike might be able to ride it, right? So I can carry speed and flow through certain sections of the trail. I'm not having to slam my brakes or do something because like something on the trail, right, is making it impassable or harder for me than it would be for you. Um, and I, I think Bern rode with me one day and was just like, some of these bridges are too narrow. Like, why don't we just like fix these? And I said, I sure, let's talk to the people, you know, that are responsible for it. What can we do? And that's kind of where kind of Nick stepped in and Vemba stepped in. And I, I, it's pretty amazing to where we've gotten from to where we are today. Yeah. Yeah. And so sorry, I was going to say for driving range specifically, I think that's a, uh, to talk a little bit of a kind of like, where it came from, and Greg, you you just went there, which is Burn and other folks were going out with Greg and other adaptive riders and seeing across our trail networks, so many of these trails are already almost adaptive friendly, where you've got 99% of the trail rides, especially as Greg was alluding to, more of the modern machine built trails are perfectly suited to adaptive bikes. But then you've got one bridge that's too narrow, or you've got one spot that's a, you know, like just has the wrong amount of camber or the, the an impassable spot. So we started a few years ago, we started this program of assessing, which we'll probably talk about later, assessing trails and figuring out those upgrade opportunities. But I think at the same time, and what sort of spurred the idea of the driving range is that adaptive riders need something that isn't like, hey, we made this work for you. And like as an afterthought, which is still important. And and a lot of our trails that we have upgraded, they, they work, even though they're not perfect. Whereas 
taking an opportunity to create something that really from the ground up was thoughtful about um, riders of all, you know, whether on adaptive bikes, regular bikes that everyone can enjoy. Yeah, nice. Um, I was going to ask about the the width of the trails and you mentioned some numbers, Greg, so I wanted to jump back real quick and just clarify. Mm-hmm. So the like how wide are the bikes typically and then how wide do the trails need to be? Yeah, so uh, basically about 36, like, so like three feet wide, to 38 inches wide is probably usually the max width of these adaptive mountain bikes, right? So as long as you can make the width of the trail to be, you know, that, that, that wide. Obviously, if you're doing it purpose-built from the ground up, obviously a little bit wider is helpful, right? A wider track so we can move through it and feel confident like on speed because obviously there's bench cut, right? You're, you're going through exposure inside of trails. So the, the wider the trail to make it, you know, to make it better. So I think as long as we're, we're in those confines and trying to build from there is, is, is key. Yeah. So what's the ideal? Like 40, 42, maybe 42 to 48. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's pretty, it's, it's going to be, it's going to make you feel good. Yeah. Yeah. Which isn't like terribly ride, right? So like I rode Jackson Holes Bike Park last year. And they had just built a, a huge new run at the bike park um, that was adaptive friendly. And that one was really wide, but it was also like full on bike park. But again, super fun with regular bikes. But that was in my mind, I'm like, okay, well, that's kind of what an adaptive trail is, right? This like seven to 10 foot wide, just flow trail. And I think like you mentioned earlier, right? Like that's maybe a lot of people's initial impression is like, well, I need this ADA compliant. It's just going to be this smooth you know, rail trail. And this was definitely you know, the driving range was definitely not that. <laughs> yeah. And I think, and shout out the deepest, darkest too, for in Jacksonville, I've ridden that before. It's, it's a fun trail. Yeah. Um, but no, I think too, the biggest thing is for us is like, so down the fall line, right? So that's a, that's a actually even better for us than bench cut because, you know, when you create bench, it's push a little harder. So if you can create tech, your trails down the fall line, you know, steep or rocky or rooty sections, you know, our bikes are very capable of handling that stuff. And so, to create things that's not like, you know, like a highway, like a bike park, you know, 10, 15 feet wide, right? But actually creating, you know, 40 to 42, you know, inches wide or what that, what that looks like is, is cool. And you can make them in a technical fashion, right? And I think it's just the way the flow of the trail works, right? And I think it's working that into it where it's just like you're kind of building a trail for yourself, but just a, a tad bit wider and creating still obstacles that able body bikes, you know, two wheel bikes can hit versus what my bike can hit. And they're very similar in that fashion. And to build off that too, I mean, one of the things we're trying to establish here is the idea that adaptive riders deserve the same access to a spectrum of different trail types and abilities that, a, as Greg put it, an able body or two, a two wheeled bike can. I think trying to move away from the concept of like, oh, an adaptive trail is a huge wide dirt boulevard at a bike park. Like, sure, that works pretty well for adaptive bikes, but you know, those adaptive riders deserve the ability to, to start trying out on a green trail that is more mellow, is pretty wide, does have a lot of like flow, but then also have the ability to ride these trails that are really technical and really steep and really challenging and, 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 and along the whole range. So it's not like, cool, we built that trail that works for your bike. I hope you're happy. It's like in the same way we all as, or I personally, I can say like, I want <laughs> there to be a range for folks to get to learn how to ride a mountain bike, to get to build their skill, and then to really push their skill as they get better. And I've I've been behind Greg in bike parks riding stuff that's really gnarly that a lot of pretty darn good, you know, quote, able-bodied riders won't ride because it's rocky, down the fall line, challenging. Like, I think wanting to make sure that we that we don't establish this idea of an adaptive trail is that big old wide bike park boulevard. Yeah, I think we like to say like we don't we don't want to dumb the trails down, right? It's like that's like we want we just want to make them just a little bit wider, a little bit less off camber in certain spots, right? And maybe there's a big boulder that like I can't get around that no one cared about anyway, and right, and we'll just move it so you know we can we can we can do that or create these different lines. And I think it's really fun to be able to actually like coordinate that, but also too, I think with Nick and I could talk about too as well. It's like yeah, these are adaptive trails, or I like to call them more universal because it it gets other people out on bikes too. It's not just you know, the, the adaptive community gets more people in the community that actually want to ride. Having bridges that are a little bit wider gets people more comfortable to go through them at like actually at trail speed, right? And, and clocks congestion down or like on trail that way. So like the actual flow of the trail, I think improves overall for a lot of, for a lot of reasons. And I think it's, it's, it's just more inviting for people to get out there and try new things. And it works for, you know, not specific for adaptive riders, but for for any rider. And I think that's, what's a really fun and unique thing too, that we can work on too. It's not just you know, looking about us. And I think I, I make it Congress at nights. I think it should be good for everybody to use too. Yeah. Well, and you know, we're not always going to the bike park every weekend, right? Like, we, I mean, right. Vermont has just a ridiculous amount of trails. I mean, they're everywhere, right? So if you just want to pop in after work and go hit 10 miles or something, right? Like, it's great to be able to do that with everyone kind of like wherever you are and not, you know, not have to make the trip to the bike park. And then to your point, right? So 
if you get an adaptive bike, I said before, it's like, where do you go, right? Like, how do you know where to ride your bike? And Vermont has so many trails. So working with, with, with Nick and Vemba and Vermont Adaptive too, as well is like, how can we go to the different trail networks? How can we actually know where to go? So we don't have to feel like we have to go to this bike park all the time, right? Like, where do we actually go and ride? So to be able to work with them, but Vermont Adaptive to create these assessments, right? Where the trail networks come to us, they, they want us to come down and we, and we go over their trails and see what's out there. So that way we can say, Hey, this network has this many miles of trail, green, blue, black, almost a progression to where you want to be and then actually create signage. Uh, that doesn't exist anywhere else in the country, right? As we're, as we're trying to do this. So it's really cool to be like, well, Hey, I actually, I do know where to go at all these different places. I don't have to feel like I'm stuck at one spot, right? We have the ability to actually do this. Um, and it's been so fun to what we think we've done. I think, well, Nick and I have done, I think 90 miles of trail this year. We've, um, <laughs> we've assessed, been, we've got at least 60 that are adaptive, you know, adaptive friendly and gone through these, mm-hmm. you know, where we've, we've ground truthed with Greg or with, with Vermont adaptive. We go out and we spend time with, we have a whole program that we've built where, you know, that we work with our individual chapters where they bring out chapter staff, ideally trail builders too, and, but certainly whoever's maintaining and, and in charge of that local organization. Do that on the ground. Let's go through each trails. We identify upgrade opportunities. So many cases, a trail will be, it will go, kind of as Greg was alluding to, it met those bare minimums, but there are opportunities to improve the experience in many cases for everybody. But we'll go through, identify issues, whether they be, you know, improvement or truly barriers and then work with them to say cool here's a list of upgrades and we'll talk we'll talk to kelly brush has also this year been able to actually put together a grant program to where when we're done with those assessments not only do we say hey there's some things you could improve but also and you can easily apply to get some money to widen that bridge or to rebuild that switchback so making it as easy as possible to do those things and then also the the big and greg mentioned it a second ago that the big thing we're trying to walk away from each of those assessments with and we will have for next season which is really exciting is a really thorough kind of like description and progression chart of all those trail systems to say cool you're an adaptive athlete here's where to ride adaptive in vermont there's a dozen trail networks that are well suited for adaptive riders here's where you should start the trails are either sort of you know they're easier they tend to have more of the, the sort of you know sim- less difficult trails and then kind of the same way you might find it at bike park, you know, work your way up to the more progressive stuff or more challenging stuff, being able to lay that out um, at a state level. So there is that information. So it's literally answering the question that Greg brought up before, which is like, cool, I've, I got this grant from Kelly Brush Foundation. I've got this awesome new bike. Where do I ride? And so folks can get a sense of like, not only where can I ride? And also Greg can probably allude to this too, the, the really the critical, how important it is for trail systems and trails to have really good descriptions and really clear information because you know if you get caught or you know the idea of like you, you reach something that's impassable in the middle of a network yeah you, you can't hike get a bike stuck up there <laughs> yeah. be like hopping trying to get yeah. around stuff or, or you've got a spotter and you yeah well greg can talk to better than i can yeah no i think it's funny too i think right you talk about, we talk about all the things we've talked about so far but i think the, the, the biggest part of this though is community right i think we all go out and ride our bike, ride our mountain bikes, because we love to be in a mountain bike community, right? We love to be able to do those things. And I think what people take for granted is the luxury of them to know where to go ride their bikes, the luxury of them to hop on their bike, be able to go ride, right? And I, I think that people that have spinal cord injuries or have physical disabilities and need these certain bikes, like don't have that luxury. Um, and so, like I said, like, right, a, a average mountain bike, a mountain bike costs anywhere between fifteen to $20,000, right? Which so, is like uh, only a little bit more than the top bikes now, <laughs> normal bikes, right? Which is absurd. Right? But, but you still can't, no, you can't go in the dicks, right? You can't go into like your, your normal bike shop and get one, right? right. And it's like not a thousand, oh, it's 15. It's like, it's a big investment for, if you, especially if you're just trying to get into it. Like, it's like, if you're just trying to get into mountain biking, right? Your $15,000 bike is like the bare minimum of what you need to go do. And that's, that's a big thing. And we have a kind of our ecosystem is a little bit backwards, right? Where people always ask me like, well, if we build these trails, like how many people are going to come ride it? I'm like, that's not how this works, right? If, if they're, if, we don't know where to go ride. Like we're not going to spend fifteen thousand dollars or twenty thousand dollars on a bike to get one, right? right? So it's like you have to. The trails actually have to come first, right? I hate to say the field of dreams thing, right? You build it, they will come. But like in, in essence, it's kind of how it, it it does work a little bit. And so I think for me, right, it's like being able to be where I live now and knowing that I have this community that is so accepting, right, and so inclusive and and wants me to ha- hang around and. It's just so good. I mean, I, even, I mean, it's story, story, short, but like, you know, this over the weekend, we had the Vimba party and I, I crashed for the first time in a long time and I destroyed my rim. But I had three people there willing to like literally like knock my rim back in place in the parking lot to get out to ride on, on trails that we knew that we assessed and were able to do. Like that doesn't just happen. Like, right. Like 
those are feelings that I never normally get in other situations that I'm in or other other communities. And so to have that, it like I can't actually put into words of what that actually means to me, um, which people can take for granted to have as their everyday experience. And like that just doesn't happen. And so it, it's just so important that like the Vermont and Bemba and this Vermont Adaptive and this other and everyone else in the Bemba community here like wants this and gives me a seat at the table, gives us a seat at the table that normally we never have a seat at in general. Yeah. So the, you talked about like being able to find the trails and knowing where they are and stuff. Have you guys worked with like Trail Forks or MTB Project? Like, is there a an option or like a highlight that you can pick? Like, you know, show me adaptive trails. There is. Yeah, there's an option. I think one of the things that's critical is like the binary nature of that can, can sometimes be tricky, too. And I think the importance of having and two things we're doing. One is adding descriptions to you mentioned trail forks, like every trail that is adaptive friendly has that specific subtext for what is an adaptive rider really need to know at the summary description level, but then, but not that broader context of even things like, cool, what's got the trailhead? Are there accessible facilities? Where could you eat nearby that is, is, you know, accessible. And, Mm. and there's so much more that goes into it in terms of being able to describe. So there are, we haven't reached out and said like, okay, how can we enhance yeah trail forks or onyx or whatever to better integrate that information, which is a good potential sort of future step. I think where we're at now is how, how can we big, provide that big picture? Like here are all the great places that you can ride to Greg's point, like really encourage to build that community. And, you know, there are so many, I think it's really neat. And I, I do want to give a really a special shout out to Vermont Adaptive, who we work really closely with on these assessments and who is providing an essential role in that programming piece. So like, you know, we think about these different, Vermont's a really neat spot where you've got You've got Greg, you've got Kelly Brush providing these grants for folks to get equipment. You've got Vermont Adaptive doing so much programming where they're bringing in folks with disabilities to you know, try things. They've, they've got the equipment that they can use and borrow and lease and, and then building that, you know, and here's where you can ride so that they're kind of converting folks into athletes. Without them, none of this would happen either because you would, you know, it, the, the, the need for that programming to, to show people where they can ride and, and that this is possible. So that you know i think the idea of like what's a need is being is importance of doing it all at once you need the trails you need the equipment and you need the programming to be able to build up this community you can't just do one and expect that the the folks will be there yeah mm-hmm. from a trail building perspective you know you mentioned bridges need to be wide enough um which i think are kind of a good thing anywhere because we've got a few locally that are like like only barely wider than my handlebars and it, it slows you way down right and um yeah it's a little sketchy sometimes and and the rails always tend to be right at handlebar height too <laughs> um but like so from an upkeep standpoint you know like i know in some areas the trails can grow in a lot in the spring and normally you know for for regular bikes right the handlebars are like three feet high and you're you're more worried about like being able to get your elbows and handlebars through whereas with the adaptive bikes you're sitting a lot lower so does it like is there a different kind of maintenance and upkeep required to keep those trails accessible to everyone do you want me to jump or you want to take it Greg? Yeah, good. Yeah, no, so I mean, yeah. you're, you mentioned some of it's cutting back, literally, and that's we'll talk about it maybe in a second too about kind of what what the relevance for sort of historical trails or older trails or even newer sort of trails that might have a narrower tread. But a lot of cases, it's literally just cutting back vegetation, which honestly, as most folks should know from a the safety standpoint, like you really do want to cut back vegetation for sight lines and visibility. I think the biggest so that's clearly you have to have a wide enough wide enough corridor but the reality is that in vermont's known for it if like as that as that maple jungle grows in it gets real hard to see around corners and and obstacles and stuff like that and and often obscures issues like you know rocks and roots under the trail tread so definitely part of it and we found networks where honestly like the feedback and a lot of loops is like you literally just need to mow here a little bit more often because you're just greg's going through and just getting whapped on both sides with with brushes or you know (laughs) brush on the underbrush so that's a big piece. I do think you touched on it and it's not related as specifically to maintenance, but even the, the a huge element is that site, the, the site, if you crouch down, I mean, on your mountain bike, yeah, your eyes are four or five feet above ground. If you literally, you know, in a, an adaptive bike, again, I'm not going to speak for you, Greg, but when you're seated down yeah, at yeah. that level, like your sightline is so much lower. So it is important mm-hmm. from thinking about certainly maintenance and clearing corridor and stuff like that. But even, you know, when you might go over a roller or something like that, right? You're like, oh, I can see the exit. You're like, well, you can see the exit if your eyes are at five feet, but if your eyes are at three feet, like you need to have a better sight line. But Greg, you could definitely speak better to that than I could. Yeah, and I, and I think a lot of that comes into like trail science, right? I think like, right, I, I always go down these trails and like, I'm like, I, I think I go on trails that I know now, so I know what's there, but when you're first doing a trail, you're riding blind, right? It's always interesting riding a trail blind. 
but especially for me because I just really don't know what obstacles are actually going to be in the way and like what could flip me over, what couldn't. And so that's why I, like, the having trail signage on the trails now is going to be so key for us because that's a little thing that again, like we just don't ever get like having. And so like knowing that a trail, like I, like it's a, right, this is an adaptive trail that works. Like having just knowing that, right, just takes a lot of things in my brain that I need to like focus on. Like right when I'm going on the trail, I I know there are things that I know that like I should be able to be this should be fine on. I'm not like having to overthink certain situations and I can like ride the trail the way I actually want to ride the trail and not just being like, just like crawling on everything because I don't know what's going to be there. What's not going to be there. What, what, what might not be there. So I think that's cool. And I think also, I, again, I think like, right. I think we go into these assessments and people are like, Oh, like this spot's not going to work or this is not going to work. And I'm like, actually you'd be surprised. I think the things that you, that you don't think are going to work are going to work. And the things that you thought were going to work probably wouldn't. And I think it's it's funny when we do them and having the trail builders there is key. Is that like I think more of it works than they have ever they ever thought. Like all like they're like oh this is hard, but I'm like it's not the hard things. The, the hard things probably are fine. It's like the little things like, like this little root that's just sticking up, causing like an imbalance, causing this to be more off camber, right? Because your two wheel bike can go through this, you probably even go over the root or go off camber where it's now it's lifting my front wheel up too high. It might flip me over and no one would ever have realized that. And if you took that route away, no one would ever care. Like it's just those little things. So the little trail maintenance stuff is, is even the legislation isn't wide enough. I think a lot of it comes down to the, it's the obstacles, right? So if you can just remove some of the obstacles, which are mainly the bridges, a lot of the bridges are just too net, we're just too narrow, right? And so those, those, those are big pieces of it or moving this rock or this one trail network here that if we just moved a rock out of, like I actually can't get into the trail network, right? It's mm-hmm. like I have to like, Every other trail in there is great. You just can't get past the one rock at the front. Yeah. Like, like, right. Like think about, like, you wouldn't even think about that. Right. And and so it's the, it's those things that we, that we look at and those little hanging fruit, but I think it's just, it's really cool to see what's there. And and to the trail forks pieces too, I think it's great to have those options put on there, but unless like we go out and identify what trails would work and kind of create our own little system internally, it's going to be too, it's a, it's almost too hard to like, you're doing, you're biting off too much at once. Right. You got to take all the low hanging fruit. And start simple and just just what trails work, right? Based on a little small guidelines. And everyone always talks about other oh, guidelines. It's always best practices. There's a lot of different yeah. adaptive bikes. People have all different level levels of ability on that. So I think for me the, the biggest thing is it's just does the bike fit on the trail? Are there any obstacles that are gonna make this bike not fit on the trail? Right. And then you leave skill level to the people riding the bike, right? So as long as there's no obstacles on there, the thing's gonna like actually like you know, make the bike not go on the trail. Let's start there and let's we're piecing together this one by one. And we've done, like we said, almost 90 miles of trail now in Vermont that we've looked at. Yeah. And you mentioned guidelines. I mean, like, you know, Kootenay, CASA has the Adaptive Sports Association out there has an awesome set of sort of, hey, if you're building on a blank slate or on a ski area, like they're really valuable in terms of things like camber and turning radius and things like that. The reality is, particularly in a spotting new england when you get out in the woods and build with the rocks and trees and the terrain that you have like it's real hard to apply that yeah. in the same thing and, and i think the two things were you know one main thing we're really trying to go after is w- with new trail construction and we found this as we've done some of these assessments and what the driving range has even found but the benefit of having greg out there as they're building to be able to correct these folks building in you know it there it's already a flow trail it's already the width that's needed but just create every now and then a switchback closing off a little too much just has that closing radius like if it had just kept it a little bit more open or if that berm just kept going another three feet like it's not anything that would change and in, in many cases it will make the trail ride better it's not anything that will change it significantly but the, the tough it's really tough when you go out and find a new trail that's just been completed with you know it's not cheap and it, it could have been adaptive friendly barring this like oh, that rate that turning radius closes just a little and we do we've been doing and we've found numerous instances where we get on the wood and it's and it's not that the builders had any like i'm trying to not make this accessible but they just don't a lot of it's like they didn't know right and so i think yeah. creating creating more of an awareness creating more of an understanding and then also trying to really emphasize the fact that like adaptive friendly does not mean you know, ADA compliant. It's like, and and if folks aren't trying to create a boardwalk or like a very, you know, t- toned down experience that works really truly for anybody, there's still a value in, in striving towards this adaptive, you know, adaptive friendly or adaptive optimized construction. Yeah. What, what is the turning radius you need? Like how, I mean, I guess it varies by bike, right? Too, but the bikes are. It does, right. And I think that the, the bigger, I, the way I look at it is like in the simplest terms, you just need to exaggerate everything that you would do on a two-wheel bike for the adaptive bike, right? So like if you have the berm, you made the berm for two-wheel bike, I'm like, in general, your pie just got to make it a little bit bigger, right? Like it's just like, right, if you have a double or like 
big whoops, like you want to create the like the space in between, like you know, the rollers a little bit longer, right? Because it just be a longer bike. Because you're not through. gapping those, are you? <laughs> right. No. Sometimes. So Greg sometimes gaps them. <laughs> I will. Yeah. I, sometimes I try. Um, but like, right? And it, you're just kind of exaggerating the trail a little bit, right? Everything's just a little bit longer. Everything's a little bit wider, right? It's just just exa- just exaggerating things a little bit is the key of it. I think it's like, right? Some of the funny nitpick things are where, and this is kind of what happened this weekend. It's like when you our bikes are long, so the swing weight of our bikes takes a lot more momentum for the bike to get around, right? So there might be sections of trail that become that you don't think are off camber, but they become a little off off camber where you're it'll drift you to the outside of the trail faster than it would for a two-wheeled bike. So usually that's where drainage becomes like a thing. There's usually a drainage ditch right in those areas. There's usually a tree, right? It just because it's just how trails are built. So be able to like nitpick some things and be able to like create like that berm to go a little bit longer. So you're not just being thrown down the hill towards the outside of the trail, right? And kind of keeping that flow that we talked about. Yeah. Those are those are the really the nitpicky things that it's really fun that we get to go over. But I think even more valuable was too, just as Nick and I were talking about how like as we're trying to create some little bit of standards here and there, but like at the same time though, it's giving them a better idea of just building trail in Vermont in general too, like having actual a better guidance of how we're building trails just in general for every for everybody, right? And I think that again is is really unique and, and a cool and a cool thing to to talk on as well. Yeah, does that is that something that Imba because you know Imba puts on clinics for you know at a, kind of a national scale? Is that something that they're looking at, or do they provide? Like, is this sort of thought process built into their trail building clinics and advice? It's beginning it's started, to be. Yeah. To be, yeah I, and I think, I, well, yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I, and I've chatted with them about this and, and Greg, I know has as well. Like, I think it's, they're trying to coalesce around some common definitions. I think this is the, the adaptive sort of adaptive mountain biking sort of just culture is only really, you know, emerged in the last couple of years. And so getting alignment around, there've been different standards whether it's on pavement whether it's the casas the casa standards like there's there's trying to get to some consistency around what the what and i think the trickiness of design standards because as greg was alluding to even with turns like casa says 15 foot minimum radius 20 to 25 foot ideal but that depends like how much how is that a two is that a 180 degree berm is that a 135 degree like and i've watched greg navigate a lot of tight berms that aren't you know as long as they don't wrap all the way around sure you could you can rail through those, but if it's a truly looped around light bulb turn or whatever, that's a different story. So, so much of those are like, how to, I think Imba is absolutely trying to think through and they're, they've done some great work and a Walden's Ridge has had a lot of assessment work and they've done some other elsewhere where they've talked to, tried to really hone in on the same principle of like, it's less around being able to publish a book of guidelines and more around a philosophy of construction of like, how do you approach a project with this in mind, knowing the principles, getting an adaptive athlete out there having the equipment test as you build, like I, that, that I think is happening now, but Greg, I know you've chatted even more recently. Maybe you've got more context to add. Yeah. And I was going to say too, just the biggest thing is just like, right. With, with anything we do in the world is like, it's not assume, right. Just getting the right people to work on the right projects. And just as any trailboulder here would go out and they have their own biking skills, right. They have people, you know, on, on board trying the trail, trying the trails out too. It's like, you know, make sure that we are involved, that, are, that you do have an adaptive rider in, involved. Right. And most of the time you're starting to make adaptive trails is because, you want to be more inclusive and you've seen these riders out. So I think it's just, in, just actually involving them like in, in the process, just like you would an able body rider. And when you're building whatever trails you're building forever, you're doing with, and then even with Imba, I know they're definitely trying to have this. I think some of their donors and some of the things they're trying to do is actually like be more inclusive in the adaptive, you know, in the, in the mountain biking, but also in the adaptive community. And so there's projects out in Arizona now that are starting. I have some friends, you know, that are in the SCI community that are helping out doing some more consulting work and it's becoming a thing. But I think what's what we have uniquely here in Vermont is that it still hasn't happened yet. We're just, we're able to work with them. right? We have a Vemba, right? We have this organization that, that is willing to give us a seat at the table to actually create what could be a really cool national standard moving around, right? We, with the KBF and what we do, we're able to give a $15,000 grant to Vimba for their chapters to actually take that money to do it, right? To create real change, it's more than one organization. You need multiple organizations and you need organizations that are not just just for the, the adaptive or disability community, like I would said, like able-bodied, like you know, or just normal organizations, right? That are just that are doing these things to help create real change, and it's really fun to be be a part of that and see mountain biking grow, not just for the adaptive community, but for everybody here in Vermont and everyone. Like you said, Tyler, you went to those trails and you had a blast on them, and you had no idea, right? And that's that's the future we're trying to create, and something that I love to help educate and help produce more. And it's really cool that like we kind of get to be the little cookie cutter. 
uh, you know, in Vermont to kind of create that on a more national level. And I think Imba would buy into that. And I think they're starting to already. Cool. The, um, you know, the, the most adaptive bikes these days are e-mountain bikes. Does that, which certainly opens up a lot of possibilities for riding more terrain, but have you guys seen any issues with access given that some trails in some areas aren't, you know, don't allow EMTVs? Well, I can, you can be the hard, the hard no on that is that an, an, an e-assist electric mountain bike is considered an electric wheelchair. So for ADA purposes, it can go anywhere. Like if there's no, there's a hard, like, but Greg, you, yeah. Jump in. <laughs> yeah, I think, right. It's, 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 it's where things get a little convoluted, right. Yeah. But a little bit, like, as we say, like the trails aren't ADA, right. But uh, the mount, mountain bikes are considered a mobility device, right. Because they're usually made with 36 inches or less. So if you look up the definition of what a, what a mobility device is, right. And how that works, works for national parks. Cause like a lot of, right. Like Vermont's special where you have a, it's really weird. Like a lot of our trails right are on private land versus, you know, most other states have all their, you know, all their trails on national forest land or BLM. That looks like, and those are things you have to comply on, right? And a mobility device, uh, you know, is a device that, right, is that's 36, you know, inches or, or wider or less, has a, the tread is this or that, and has a motor that will do less than that, right? And all the bikes that are pretty much made kind of fall into that, to that category. So technically, like, if you go out on trail, like it, like it should be legal. Like you, like you should be allowed to have that. It's like having a wheelchair on, on the trail, right? And so you're trying to create those bikes in those. And those parameters is, is what sets that apart. And I think it's a big part of it. And I think, you know, no matter where you go, you're going to find people that are going to give you a hard time. That's just like the way, I mean, that's everything you're going to go through. But for the most part, there really hasn't been that much pushback and, and rightfully so. And I think, again, it takes the, you know, the right amount of education and the right ambassadorships to have those conversations and put that out there. And right, like, be, again, be able to work with organizations that are in charge of that stuff to get things done is it, it, super helpful, right? And has been a big part of that as we just, as we navigate that and you know kingdom trails is a big part of that they you know they're it's a big 100 miles of vermont right and they don't allow e-bikes on there but they've made a new policy that if you have disability uh and you can you know if you have disability you can go there and use an e-bike whether it's an adaptive mountain bike or an e-bike right people have other you know things that you can't physically see or cognitively see there's a lot of things that are, it's not just you know people with spinal cord injuries right there's a lot of different people with disabilities out there uh and so they will have that and again open up to more people to ride i think is huge one thing that's been floating through my mind just to to add to that from an advocacy standpoint you know the the number one reason that we're to bimba approaching this is because it's the right thing to do and we want to build the community we want more trails to be rideable for everybody there's also a value i sometimes you know this or more self-oriented folks that are out there and say, why are you investing time and energy in making in making upgrading trails to make them adaptive friendly or building new adaptive trails? The reality is that from a selfish or self-interested advocacy standpoint, the more we can make our trail systems more accessible for more people, the easier it is for, and I see this when I work with the state, like when they realize what we're doing is creating access to the outdoors for folks with disabilities, they're like, oh, well, we didn't realize that. Like that trail project suddenly goes for the value and purpose of that project we're proposing suddenly goes from like a, eh, maybe that's interesting to, oh, we we are interested in supporting this. So like the more you can couple trail projects to make them truly usable for more people, particularly people that historically haven't had access to the outdoors, like that creates such a bump in the value and purpose of a trail project. So that, that also, I mean, another thing to add too is that that doesn't mean every new trail, and it certainly doesn't mean every existing trail is going to meet or going to be upgraded. We have a lot of historical, old, narrow, janky <laughs> trail here in Vermont that, that you know, we go and we're like, this is not worth the effort. And the one thing we don't and want to do, and it shouldn't. And the reality is that the, the number, the principle we apply to those, you know, adaptive assessments and upgrades is we do not want to change the character of the trail. That's not a goal. It's like, we're not going to go in and take something and try to, you know, widen it to make it work or rip out a bunch of skinnies. That's not what we're after here. It's taking trails that are, are already so close and there's so many of them. And then anytime, I think the philosophy we're approaching to thinking of that, again, it enhances the purpose of any new trail of the question we want to ask ourselves is why wouldn't we make this adaptive friendly? And maybe there's a compelling reason it, there could be, but and for a particular experience you're trying to create or the nature of the terrain, you can't make it fine. But at least asking that question at every new project is the, is what we all should be doing. Yeah. Is it, uh, have you found that it's becoming a tourist draw for Vermont at all? Because there's not a lot of, oh, I don't know, maybe there are, but I, my assumption is there's not a lot of places in the U.S. that have as expansive of a, a network that's accessible as you guys do. Um, do you see more people coming in from out of state to ride these trails? 
Yeah, I think for sure. And obviously, something Vermont Adaptive, right, is so, is so, so good at doing too, right? Is they're having the programming, having the places here, but there's so many places to ride, right? All through Vermont now. So people coming from all over, you know, New England to be able to have that experience and like what we know where to ride. We're like, if you go to other programs, this is not to their fault, right? This is the kind of the overall problem in general, right? If you go to other programs around in other states, like they just trying to figure out where to ride or have that equipment is just difficult. And we, like we have that here and that's, that's like special. Um, at, you know, we, we just held a 15 person that did mountain bike camp here in Vermont. We had people from all over the country come people from Jackson hole came right. And, uh, you know, people from, you know, Virginia, North Carolina, like there's people everywhere that came to us and can't believe what's here. I've had three people flying from Salt Lake city just to bring them to the driver range and, and show them this. And everyone's just like, wait, Vermont has this, like, this is like, these are harder trails than we ever ride back at home or like we have access to or get to. And I, especially I love our, that's a community and I keep getting more and more people up here. And it's just so awesome to be like, yeah, like we have this, and especially with the driving range. It's just like, this feels like a new home. Like I know I can come to this trail. I know all, I know it all that works, right? I like to have that feeling of just like, I know I can do all of this. Like, again, it just like, doesn't just like happen at any other trail network either. Right. Like we do these assessments and it's still great. And there's, like, I know I can go to this, but this is just like, I know I could park. I can go from the trailhead. Like, I, if I really want to truly ride out by myself, like I, like, I totally could. And I would feel comfortable doing that. And that's just something we don't really get. And so, like, to bring more people here, I just got a phone call yesterday saying there's a, there's a group from Chicago that want to come to Vermont this summer now to come ride these trails because they heard what we're doing, right? That's, a, that's like, they're going to drive from Chicago to come here for a week. Like, that's like, you know, bringing a whole bunch of people, you know, in the inner cities to come ride bikes. Like, that's, like everything I think you know, we want and want to have and want to continue to do. Yeah, And I think that goes, I mean, you mentioned Vermont Adaptive, that Department of Tourism has supported several videos, tourism-oriented videos that they've produced for skiing, for general outdoors, I think water sports, and then one for mountain biking specifically. And they are fielding tons of folks. I mean, Vermont's a five-hour drive from 60 million people. Um, and it's one of the, it's a huge draw for the outdoors. So I think there's clearly already building and they get a lot of folks that come all across the northeast the mid-atlantic because the programming exists there's equipment they can demo that there's the infrastructure the outdoors the assets are here they can use so like we're and as an organization i mean one of the things that we just viva just published a strategic plan earlier this year we already have a lot of usage vermont has 13 million visitor visits for again a pretty small state that people come here to, to experience and outdoors is a big part we're not necessarily trying to pull more people just anybody in but we did target as part of that plan there are groups historically excluded populations that we do want to pull in um the, and and the adaptive community is one of them so we're working with Vermont adaptive too to say yes like how can we bring more people here to experience what we're trying to create for adaptive riders nice so for somebody like i'm, I'm thinking of our local trails right like i know there's probably a couple of bridges that would be stumbling blocks but beyond that just from a, a trail perspective like I've never seen an adaptive rider, adaptive bike locally, probably because we don't have the trails for it. Right? So for something like that, where you don't have somebody that can kind of go out with you and, and you know, assess the trail from the actual perspective of one of these bikes, is there like, a, you know, like, how do you recommend somebody take those steps? Like, could I literally just kind of take like a four, like a yardstick and walk at like waist, you know, knee level and just see, like, can I get through all of this? Yeah, I think it's a good point. I'm. All, I think also too, it's good to know. Like I'm. Like I'm having these conversations more and more, right? Like I, I. So I've actually been down to Brevard, like in and like all around Dupont, like rocks, like oh, yeah. super cool. This <laughs> National Forest, like well, those trails go. Like you'd be surprised. Like a lot of that like actually works. And I have the ability to go down there and talk with Cane Creek and talk with um the, the trail organizations out there. What that what that might look like and how to get into that. And I think I think the first thing is too is what you talk about is like kind of put your adaptive goggles on, right? I think the best, one of the best things I ever heard was my friends went out to Bellingham and they came back and they're like, oh, Greg, I don't think like the trails we did would have, would have gone. I'm like, we're sorry. I'm like, don't be sorry. I'm like, you literally were on the trail thinking about me, like across the entire country. And you like inherently thought about like these trails as you were going down, if they would go or not. Right. I think that's the key. I think it's trying to kind of teach, you know, what these adaptive goggles kind of look like when they're on. Right. So like you said, when you're just going around with that yard sticker, you're just like, hmm, I think, like, I think, I think this would go. And I think that's all it takes. It's, it just starts there just those little things that as you go out in your trail and you're just being mindful, you know, of what's happening and what's going. And I would actually love to come down to wherever you are and go ride some of the trails over there and see what that works. And that's something that we're trying to do as extending his five-year plan too, just for the Kelly Brush Foundation too, we're, you know, we're trying to make outdoor recreation more inclusive. Right. And I think a big part of that is trails. Um, a lot of adaptive equipment, you know, it, from when we, this stuff started, right. A lot of it was 
hence like in road biking and, and being on the road or being that. And as we have these mountain bikes now, we're, we're able to adventure. It's not just mountain biking. You can take them for camping. You can take them, you know, for a hike, right? These are all opportunities that we never used to have that have now opened up in the last four or five years. So to be able to kind of go down there and have our, have us be able to be able to, to travel around and, and, and try to make this work and become more leaders in the deaf sports community. You know, it's really fun for us. And I think trying to create a stable of people who they are and where they are, that can come down and actually like just go for a ride with you and see what it's like. Yeah, that'd be rad. Is there uh, anything I didn't ask? You know, I'm just trying to think of it from like a trailbrother's perspective. You know, they're probably listening to this thinking like, ah, oh, it'd be nice, you know, I, oh, and I can get some grants and like, yeah, I want to do this. Like, what have I not asked or what have we not talked about that might be, that should be top of mind as people are trying to, you know, kind of come up with a program for their local area. Yeah. I think it's fun to ask like, Nick these questions, right? Cause it's like, it's like, I feel like I'm so involved in it all the time, but it's really cool to hear like, so that's like, you know, two years ago, this wasn't like, this wasn't a thing to, you know, where we are now on the trail together. And it's just fun to hear your perspective. Yeah. I mean, I think I would say the partnerships piece is key and it goes to your question around even assessing the trail. I think to talk the trail piece specifically, I think it is about, could this go is the first question like you're looking. And that's kind of what we do with our chapters. Like tell us the trails that you think are adaptive friendly or would be, you know, work for adaptive bikes. And then the, it absolutely requires going out there with the equipment, seeing it firsthand, identifying upgrade opportunities. So in that same vein, it, you can't do this without partners. Like we would not be doing this without Kelly Brush and without Vermont Adaptive as as partners in, in the work. So regionally sort of identifying your adaptive sports or, you know, sort of organization the closest to you, or, or in many cases as Greg, there's, there's national organizations that are, you know, always interested in, in, enhancing what's going on. So figuring out who you can work with. And I, one of the things we're trying to do even as Vimba is we putting together kind of taking what we've developed from a process, from materials and approach, like make that, Hey, anyone's welcome. Any organization in the country is welcome to look at what we've done and use it if they find it valuable in terms of as an approach and kind of as the, the tools and, and how we've gone about it. But the the biggest thing is finding those partnerships because I, it's that, three-legged stool if you need the trails you need the programming you need the equipment so and and a trail organization bimba certainly couldn't provide uh at least two of those three things so i think that idea of who are you going to work with and and i guess one of the other things i'd say is really important is sort of what is your like purpose i think it's really important to think through like who what who are the community you know why are we doing this in some sense which and and I think it's it gets away from like, oh, let's create and Greg talks about it sometimes too, like let's create our adaptive loop. We've got like we'll just make an adaptive loop in in the trail system and it's one dinky little green thing out there. And that's that could serve a purpose if there's you want to let people do their walk or whatever. But I think it's it's coming up with a whatever like the what is the value you're trying to establish in a in a project and then ideally working with the athletes themselves to figure out like it does this makes sense. Like, is this something that we should do versus creating something that doesn't actually serve a, a community that needs it? Yeah. I think the other problem with like, you know, just doing like one little loop, right. Is that if, you know, Greg, you want to ride with your friends, you know, and, and your friends will get real bored of that one little loop. I mean, you would too, yeah. right? Like everybody would get yeah. real bored with that real fast. And eventually I could just imagine you'd be like, Hey, you want to ride? Like, yeah, I kind of want to just go ride the other stuff, you know? Um, so yeah, you really need to try and build as big a network as you can. Looking at it from the rider's perspective, right? Like, I I mean, I'm sure there's people here in Greensboro that would love to get out and rip the trails, but, you know, A, they don't, probably never even cross their mind, right? And, you know, the bikes, there's grants. I think you said KBF has grants for bikes. Um, mm -hmm. I think, like, Wounded Warrior Project helps with stuff like that. Like, what yeah, are... Veterans, yeah. Yeah, what are some other big um, groups that maybe some riders could look at to kind of help get them started on their journey? Yeah, I think so. Just organization from that standpoint, like there's obviously the Kelly Brush Foundation. There's the Challenge Athletes Foundation. They're based out of California and they're huge. They help anyone with disability get into adaptive sports, whether it's just like, you know, wheelchair racing or mountain biking, whatever it may be. And also the High Fives Foundation helps people with spinal cord injuries. They're out of, they're out of Reno, uh, and Nevada, but like they're, you know, an action sports kind of, you know, based injury, right? So some, you know, doing those things like that. So it's really cool to have. These little niches that we fill, these other organizations fill to get into that. And then there's the, the bigger, broader part of it is it's the actual adaptive sports organizations that put on the programming, right? And we've, as a KBF, we've created the Active Project, which is an online resource tool to try to connect um, and give information about all the adaptive resources that are out there. So all the programs around the country, you can kind of see in a map. So right, if you're in Greensboro and like, right, it's not just for someone with a disability, you say, hey, what, 
what programs are out there? Maybe we've had this conversation with like, do they have bike equipment? Do they have, right? Like that resource never existed. So we, we, in the last year, we, we put this together. So people with disability can connect. Other people can see what or, organizations that are out there or the grant opportunities are out there for people to get equipment and just have like forums and just the ability to learn about the equipment, where to go to do it, who the manufacturer is, what does that look like? Because every bike is very different and it depends on your, you know, your disability level, what you're able to do, what bikes you would use. And so having that, it, it, it is key. Um, and I think it's just trying to find the adaptive sports programs around, around where you are, what equipment they have, and then just probably talking to me or anyone else to have these conversations with. Cause like, I, I love, I love this so much. It's so fun to, like I said, have a seat at this table. Cause I just feel like normally we, we don't. Um, and it's just so cool to be part of all of it. Guys. Awesome. Anything else you want to add? Thank you. Thanks for having us. <laughs> like yeah, yeah. As you can pleasure. tell, Greg and I just rambled for like an hour without nonstop. So it's top of mind. Yeah. But no, I mean, yeah. it's, I, I think it's a topic, right? Like if you don't need a bike like this, you don't need trails like that, right? Like why would it ever cross your mind? And especially if you don't know anybody that is, you know, would love to ride, but can't, right? Like why would it ever cross your mind? So hopefully we can just kind of get people thinking about it at some level, you know, it'd be fun. Well, I mean, ask your, I guess one thing to add, like, a lot of us in this industry or in the mountain bike sort of advocacy and trail, like, why do we do this? Like we do this to create amazing experiences for people like ourselves included, but also like, that's why we're out there. And to be able to create these kind of experiences for a community that historically has not had them, like the impact factor of the meaning and fulfillment you can get out of doing that kind of work is enormous. Like I've seen people, I've seen people that lead our chapters cry when at, you know, when they've completed this work, cause they're like, it's takes a lot of it's hard and it's but it's also like, man, I can actually have a huge impact in terms of the purpose of my work. So just that as a word of encouragement for folks, like you can change people's lives by doing this in, in ways that I think we're all trying to do when we when we're engaged in this work. Yeah. And actually, one last thing to Nick's point there is that like, I, you know, I didn't like set on this mission to do this. Right. Like I like I, my the joke was like we just called these are gregable trails. Right. And, it, <laughs> and I didn't like try this. It was the community. It was the, literally the the mountain bike community like saw this and like wanted to make changes and to make this happen. And everyone how, thought how cool it was. And just like you said, you rent and rode the driving range. You had no idea. And it was super cool. And we made something that was hard. Like we, we came out to not make an easy trail. Like that wasn't like, I want to be able to like, we need to progress too. Like this is a new sport. So for me to actually go someplace to have and create progression among my fellow able-bodied peers, but also people in depth of community, like that's just like everything you ever want you know, together on, on, on a trail system. And it's just really cool that the active mountain bike community and the mountain bike community is just the best community I've ever, I've ever been a part of. And I, I just want to say like, just a shout out to everyone that rides a mountain bike. Just thank you for, for, for being awesome. Awesome. Well, Greg, Nick, thank you guys so much for your time and for sharing yeah. the info and stories. Thank you. Time. If you like this episode and have a product or tech you're curious about, Head over to bikerumor.com slash podcast and fill in the form to submit your idea. You'll also find links and photos for this episode there, plus a link to this and every other episode we've ever recorded. If you really like this and want more, hit subscribe on your favorite podcast player and leave us a rating and review. That's the grease that keeps our wheels spinning over here in podcast land, and it helps us keep getting amazing guests for you. You can find us on social. We're at Bike Rumor on all the things. And if you like random entrepreneurship, NFT, Web3, cycling stuff, you'll find me at Tyler Benedict on all the social channels. Thanks for listening. Until next time, keep the rubber side down.